हेलो एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ माइंड की बात वेर वी डिस्कस नॉट योर तन एंड शेल आई से मन बट द पार्ट दैट रियली मैटर्स योर माइंड स्पेसिफिकली द मेंटल हेल्थ आई एम योर न्यूरो डाइवर्जेंट होस्ट शार्दूल एंड इन दिस एपिसोड वील डिस्कस अ मेजर मेंटल इलनेस विच पीपल डोंट रियली नो अबाउट एंड डोंट रियली अंडरस्टैंड विच इज बाईपोलर डिसऑर्डर Behind my smile is a breaking heart. Behind my laugh I'm falling apart. Behind my eyes are tears at night and behind my body is a soul trying to fight. Somatic disease is very dangerous. Mean, it's very dangerous. I just found that it was really freeing to have the information. It made me really happy because I I started to have a relationship with myself. I had bipolar disorder meant that I was going to be limited in some way. This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to Mind Ki Baat. To give us their insights on bipolar, we have two special guests with us. Sandhya is a former journalist and a writer, and after spending 18 years in journalism, she now works as a communication specialist. She lives in Bangalore and is a single mother of two teenage children. Hello Sandhya. Hi. Sandhya tells me she primarily writes about parenting and mental health and she does this through her personal experiences and she received her diagnosis of bipolar disorder and borderline borderline personality disorder 10 years ago. And since then she has been pretty vocal about mental health issues and conversations around it. So I'm very glad to have you with us Sandhya. Happy to be here guys. Our second guest is Dr. Alok Kulkarni. Alok is a senior consultant psychiatrist with 11 years of experience at Manas Institute of Mental Health and Neurosciences which is in Hubli Karnataka and he was trained at the National Institute of Mental Health and Neurosciences Nimans Bangalore we mentioned your hospital uh, <laughs> earlier too on this podcast and he was awarded IMH Marshall Fellowship Award by University of British Columbia uh, which is in Vancouver Canada and this was awarded to him in 2022 2023 to pursue research on bipolar disorder and he told us that besides work he likes sports literature comedy so hello alok and great to have you here hi shardul and sandhya thanks for having me here so before i go to our guests and we start the conversation let me give you some basic facts according to mayo clinic bipolar disorder was formerly known as manic depression and it's a mental health condition that causes extreme mood swings or i think intense emotional states would be the right uh, definition from the conversation i had with a couple of people i know they said it's it's like we're more emotional rather than it's a mood swing it's much heavier than a mood swing but our guests would correct me if i'm wrong and when we say you know extreme mood swings or extreme emotional states believe me they are extreme and can even last for weeks 
which is the primary issue with being bipolar and this quite often severely affects a person's ability to function in life um so i want to go to you first alok i was reading yes, about bipolar disorder and i am only familiar with it through a couple of people and they are not very open about their conditions although they are part of uh, a group uh, which is for neurodivergent people of who have different problems but right. they are not very open about it so right. could you tell our listeners um i i read there are three types so could you explain it to our listeners what these three types are what what are the differences uh so as you mentioned bipolar disorder is a serious mental illness which is characterized by dramatic shifts in mood energy and activity levels which mm-hmm. affect a person's ability to carry out day to day tasks these shifts in mood and energy levels are more severe than the normal ups and downs experienced by everyone bipolar basically represents a pathological change in one's mood energy and activity levels mm-hmm. between two opposite poles uh what is what happens generally is that it is uh, frequently called a mood disorder the term mood disorder uh, is some sort of a misnomer because mm. there is not just the mood that is affected but also the energy and activity levels that are affected uh there are uh, broadly there are uh, three types of bipolar disorder and uh, i would be speaking about bipolar disorder type 1 and type 2 the other type is called the cyclothymic disorder mm-hmm. uh, which is less common as compared to bipolar disorder type 1 and type 2 uh, so you you were right when when you mentioned about manic depressive illness uh, bipolar disorder was earlier referred to as manic depressive illness and this concept was given by emil kreplin in the year 1898 uh, manic depressive illness referred to mood recurrent mood episodes of any kind mm-hmm. uh, so manic depressive illness uh if if a person had 100 depressive episodes he would still and zero manic episodes he would still be referred to as having a manic depressive illness but uh, the concept of bipolar disorder came into being with the advent of the diagnostic and statistical manual uh, version 3 in the 1980s here uh, the critical difference was that bipolar disorder had depression and mania and not depression or mania right. uh, which which aligns more uh, with uh, manic depressive illness so yeah in bipolar disorder type 1 there is mania and depression whereas in bipolar disorder 2 uh, there is hypomania and depression right so uh, you mentioned these in clinical terms but like before i go to sandhya and you know for for a layman like me and i assume many of our listeners uh, the clinical terms do not really translate to understanding what happens but before i go to sandhya i want to ask you one thing uh, we've seen in many mental health condition that mood swings are a part of them but what i understood was that with bipolar disorder they run into extremes Uh, like mm. i mean really extreme and right. how is it different from other conditions let's say like our two episodes ago we discussed adhd so mood swings are right. part of that too but with bipolar disorder i read everywhere and every person i spoke to i read what they wrote like right. it's incomparable to other things 
or right. could you tell our listeners how is it different and maybe why like although it's quite difficult to ascertain why but okay so let's take the case of somebody who who let's say has mania uh, so a person with mania will start to feel incredibly happy high in mood or very excited uh, he or she may uh, feel irritable uh, they will have increased talkativeness racing thoughts increased activity and restlessness it's not just restricted to the mood uh, there will be dramatic shifts in mood energy and activity levels uh, the person might start to have grandiose thinking wherein he or she may have inflated sense of self esteem inflated sense of one's abilities the person will be easily distractible with constant changes in plans there will be a decreased need for sleep uh, and the person may become overly sociable or overly familiar familiar the person might have increased sexual energy and the, the person may indulge in reckless spending so these are some of the, the classical symptoms of person having mania so this is how uh, it is different from a person having adhd having said that uh, there there are overlapping symptoms between adhd and mania and uh, in bipolar disorder comorbidity is is the rule rather than the exception uh to to put this into perspective uh an overwhelming 20 to 30% of persons with bipolar disorder will have ADHD as a comorbidity all right sandhya i would like to come to you now um, as i was saying that alok explained it to us as a clinician as person who has studied the disease studied the illness for a long time but experiences of having a, a problem is quite different in my experience so i i don't i am quite confused about how to frame this question but if you can you know give us an idea about what it's like to deal with it over a lifetime and um how you came to be diagnosed with it right um so first off i think both of you have said the thing that i res- that resonates with me largely which is categorizing it as a mood disorder is gross injustice to what really happens mm-hmm. a mood is something that is a reflection of what's going on inside right um to talk about something that is external whereas what's going on inside is far more complex is disservice to a lot of us who have bipolar disorder mm-hmm. uh with that out of the way I, i i i wanted to sort of lay that as a frame so that you know it's easier to understand my experience with living with it mm-hmm. um so if i were to categorize it not categorize because i would talk about my experience as someone with bipolar uh, it's not unique first of all second it is incredibly difficult i will talk i i'd like to actually start at how it affects my life yeah which is um so like doctor said that doctor alok said uh no need for sleep right increased irritability increased talkativeness increased energy mm-hmm. when you see a person i mean we have such caricatural uh descriptions of it in the media right yes. high energy and talking about <clears throat> you know their their eyes are bright and their but it, it it's it looks like a sort of caricature but when you actually see me and the person inside which is me i don't feel the difference i don't see the difference for me i'm exactly how i was 3 days ago mm-hmm. but everyone around me is like you know what you wow you're too much you know of course they're not saying it to your face but yeah. they're feeling it because you come across as come let's do this let's do that and you're uh, i remember back in my 20s 
uh, generally I'm an extroverted person and back in my 20s a lot of my friends used to absolutely love the fact that my conversation was non-sequitur <laughs> right I would say one thing quickly switch to the next then to the next and they'd be like what the hell are you talking about and I saw the connection between the five threads that I picked up but they didn't Yeah. Right so those are the yeah. times when I know my thoughts are racing and I didn't get diagnosed till in my 30s I'm 43 now and I didn't get diagnosed till 10 years ago and um sleep for me I still marvel at it uh, I would go 5 6 nights without sleeping you know or I would get like an hours nap at 3 in the morning then wake up and this was all the- This was while my children were two, three years old, right? And before that, before that, you don't care, right? Because yeah. you're twenty something and you're living your life and you're having fun. And as a journalist, you're up at all kinds of odd hours, and doesn't matter. So it was really hard for me to pin down that hey, there's something going on that's not just a reflection of my lifestyle. So, for instance, you know, I'd be asleep at three o'clock. I'd be bright and early, like up at five, four thirty-five, ready to take on the day. Um, oh talk, man! Go here, run here, like. it would be it would it was just really energetic the crucial part is when you start to earn money mm-hmm. right and i say this very very often there are two major ways that bipolar disorder affects a person many people have it under control and have successful lives but people like me find it hard like alok said there is a comorbidity he said adhd uh, i have a comorbidity of borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. and most clinicians cannot tell the tell which symptom is coming from which right and yeah. that's that's actually so after a point it's irrelevant also you just learn to manage your symptoms and manage your life so when i talk about how it affects my life money for instance um as a journalist i mean i don't know how many of you in the room are journalists uh, but um as a print journalist who started out into in 2002 uh, mm-hmm. the pay was nothing right um yeah. and I had a house to run like I was living on my own pay my rent pay my bills all of that knowing all of this I would spend on a book I would spend on art supplies I would spend on eating out just because it felt good at that point in my mind I'm going hey if you're going to spend this 2000 rupees uh in the second half of the month you're not going to have any money but that doesn't stop and you think okay theek hai you're 23 years old 24 years old you know you've just started to earn and stuff you know that's the that's the you're uh, having fun you, know, you just life. discover the yeah exactly you know you've you've earned your own money and you know it's the fun of spending your own money but when it runs into when you're 33 and 40 even today when i'm hypomanic um uh, i'd like to uh, sort of point out that i've never had a manic episode and there's a difference between manic episodes and uh, hypomania hypomania mm-hmm. is a more uh, subdued form of mania mm-hmm. uh, and from what i understand mania uh requires ends up many times requiring hospitalization um yeah. i have largely been hypomanic so uh even now right i'm i have got school fees to pay i have you know rent to pay i have all kinds of bills a 43 year old single parent would have even then i'll go online and i'll see like for instance about 2 months ago i walked into this beautiful bookstore called book hive in bangalore mm-hmm. and i went at it i spent 18000 rupees that i could not afford Right. Uh, to people who earn really well, eighteen thousand is nothing. Me, I earn okay, but I have children. I have responsibilities. I didn't. My brain is going. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. The other part of my brain is like two brains in my mind. Right? The other part is like, nah, this feels so good. Just take the whole thing, and you've spent eighteen thousand flat. You know, do and it, the rest it, of the month you're it, like, oh my god, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. So I have never managed to save 
any money and about 4 years ago i had a really tough patch um and it stared me in my face that and all my life i've heard this from my parents from my people who are close to me saying some day you don't care about your future you're not saving for your children uh you know you're irresponsible so that's a tag i've lived with all my life you're mm-hmm. irresponsible because of the way i spend money and invariably i don't know if uh, if uh, dr alok's uh, experience with his patients uh, is the same but invariably people uh, with bipolar disorder especially and me i spend on things that make me feel good right so that will be mm-hmm. books that will be yarn i do crochet so that will be yarn that will be furniture you know um i remember there was a month again severely manic I bought three desks for the house, wooden desks, and I'm going, oh my god! You know, instead of buying it one by one like regular people would do, mm-hmm. I've just bought three desks, and it's not money I could afford. It's not something that I had extra, and that, you know, and I know this. I'm aware this is what I've done. I've done it before. I've done it last month. I've done it three months before, and it doesn't stop you. And that's debilitating when you get older. right because yeah. you're if you have an emergency you don't have an emergency fund um if you want to help out your parents you know god forbid that they need help monetarily you don't have it worse at times you're completely short of money at the end of the month and you have to borrow you know and all of this it it gives you a solid a beating to your self esteem right as a 43 yeah. year old if you cannot have money to see you through you know things through through emergencies what are you doing with your life so it's it's you're constantly beating yourself up and you're being seen as irresponsible and i don't blame people who see you as responsible because actions is what the world sees not your mind right yeah the other aspect is career right as a woman who has who loves doing what she does has always had that mm-hmm. but also who needs to build a career and who is ambitious enough to uh, you know want to be working till the end of her working days um it hurts me terribly and it's come to light once i've taken i mean i started therapy and i've had to look at it it hurts me terribly that i didn't go as far as my peers did yes right um it's easy for me to not easy but there is a there is a there is obviously one set of circumstances that are that's outside my control which is uh women in journalism go only so far right especially print journalism they go only so far there is beyond the point i see so many women journalists falling off but even there you know i didn't get there i i spent 18 years and i skipped from job to job to job because after after a point you know i got bored it's not that the job wasn't boring it was just my both bpd which is borderline mm-hmm. personality disorder and bipolar disorder coming into play not being able to keep focus missing deadlines then you're seen as unreliable and you're struggling right i'm sitting up night saying oh my god i got to finish this by tomorrow and i haven't done anything about it the clock is ticking i can see it's 4:20 my deadline is passed and i've still not touched it and then you're seen as lazy then you're seen as unreliable yes right? yeah. they can't let you go because at the other times your ideas are fantastic and the times that you're you've thrown yourself into something you have developed you have delivered something so beautiful that they're like shit why can't you deliver this on a you know regular uh, on, on, on a regular basis you know sandhya i yeah. had i had a question like i had specifically written a question something related to this but i'll ask it now and before i do that like everybody knows how, how, at least in news laundry we know and our sub- subscribers and listeners know how the world of journalism is 
but still you know like what you are saying would translate to so many people and it has been repeated again and again so many times by many people uh, who have some debilitating or or a mental disorder which which hampers their productivity right yeah. so a deadline is a big thing you know adhering to yeah. schedule is a big thing but my question was you know and this was initially when i found out it was astounding for me i read that um, an episode of beat manic or depressive can last for weeks and you know practically uh, uh, like as we know the world forget weeks and if if an episode lasts for days on end and yeah. in a country like ours i i would assume it becomes a problem so did have you face something like that but you mentioned it uh, yeah. if you can elaborate on it yeah so uh, i didn't quite complete i mean i i got distracted as <laughs> you yes. noticed but one of your questions the first time around was what led to your diagnosis yeah so what led to my diagnosis was my first suicide attempt right i was 33 years old uh, i had had a failed relationship and i was depressed for about severely depressed for about for many weeks but the larger chunk the peak of that where i was completely dysfunctional was about 3 weeks uh i um when when at the trigger moment of that depressive phase i went without food for 5 days i went without i suppose what i don't remember now but i went without eating anything for 5 days like a friend had to call me from india i was living away then had to call me from india and said have you eaten anything and i took a bite of the first thing that i found in the fridge because they forced me to and the skin in the roof of my mouth came off with the first bite because i had needed anything in 5 days right and it the burn and the pain in that moment sort of brought me back to where i was i was alone 5 days and in the months after that was when i tried uh my i when i attempted suicide I'm and really, it was like i'm really sorry to hear weeks. that and i hope you're better now <laughs> i am much better i haven't attempted anything for about 6 uh, 7 years now which is good for me i think um i so at that point it was about 6 weeks of utter depression and it was humiliating so many ways right i was still working so i was going to work not eating anything coming back then taking the day off because 3 days of work and then i couldn't take it and then taking the day off and then just in bed not bathed 5 days of not bathing 3 days of not brushing my teeth uh luckily living alone because my children were away on their uh, summer holiday so um about 6 weeks that sort of erratic behavior lasted so then you i go into work and nothing even basic things like making a page or you know forwarding an email to someone all i had to do was forward an email and of course you get pulled up right because everyone else yeah. is functioning quote unquote normally and you're behaving like to to all practical purposes you're behaving like you couldn't care less about this job and um i remember standing in my boss's room and crying saying i don't like i cannot do it i have i have i'm i'm ill i'm you know there's there's an issue and when i was taken when when i uh i i attempted suicide by um swallowing certain pills and when i was taken to the hospital and the doctor said you know just leave her alone they, my parents took me and they said just leave her alone just don't like put no pressure on her for some time nothing not even sandhya can you fold your clothes and put it under the cupboard nothing mm. just let her be and 
that really helped that little place really helped but the depressive phase went on for about 6 6 7 weeks of being completely dysfunctional and it was just the medication that brought me up and then when the diagnosis happened um i reflected on my time before that which is through my 20s and then i've been watching myself for 10 years um every year i have a depressive phase of about 3 months uh towards it starts a couple of months before october mhm and it runs pretty close to november where i am just uh you know unable to it's a lot better now because of therapy and medication uh, i am on lithium so that helps some level of uh self control but otherwise it's you know my depressive phases last longer than my manic phases because uh your hypomania phase cannot last for i did in my case it doesn't last for more than 5 6 days because i'm awake i'm energetic i've gone to the gym 3 times a day i have cooked like five meals a day i have baked five cakes literally you know there are times when i've done like three four cakes in a day and i've done this i have re moved the furniture all over the place and i've taken the kids and gone out and let's do this let's do that let's do the other complete um obliviousness and how do people around you respond to this um largely earlier in life it used to be amusing to my friends that you know i and i don't mean this badly but it was entertainment value that this person is so high energy mm-hmm. uh but later i think when you start to develop close relationships and with my other uh diagnosis it's hard to develop and maintain close relationships it's really hard on them right i'm yes. talking i'm loud and i'm listening to music loud and i'm speaking really loudly and it's jarring and uh, many times thankfully my life has been full of polite people who have sort of uh you know not said anything but now when i talk about my illness they they like wow that explains so much you know they it's a light bulb moment for them to see oh my god so that was not normal you know so there is there are reactions ranging from anger i have a person in my life who gets pretty angry because uh, it's a lot you yeah. know if you have to if you have to interact with me on a regular basis in that that person gets like wow listen you know and i i don't blame that person at all uh because there is a level of practice of self control that's important the worst part however is during the hypomanic phases once the phase sort of uh is on the down curve i'm sleeping for two whole days you know mm. it's it's just i'm useless for two whole days because i have exhausted myself so much that i'm sleeping for two whole days so then sometimes if that happens in the middle of the week then i've missed a day of work because i just cannot stay up nowadays i have a lot more self control in terms of when i'm missing work and i'm honest about i'm extremely honest with my workplace about what's going on earlier i would come up with all kinds of excuses and lies because i couldn't get up and go to work and you know i didn't know how to say hey this is a problem and uh, if it's on a weekend and i'm sleeping and my children are like okay you know you're not available um and then for the next few weeks i'm just recovering from the spending both money and physical um yeah it takes a toll yes yeah it absolutely does and even driving for instance if you look at my car i'm a very good driver but if i'm in one of my phases i i mean it's extremely risky you see all the scratches and dents bangalore though my favorite game yes. is in bangalore <laughs> to look for one car that doesn't have a scratch or a dent but mine is particularly bad because uh, of the way i drive when i'm in one of those phases and 
it's endangering there are children in my car you know so when you say how do people react i'm constantly getting yelled at by my parents my parents are pretty involved with my life because mm-hmm. i need support where the children are concerned many times um <clears throat> they're like can you not drive this way or can you not do this way or can you have a little more routine in your life um friends largely find me unreliable because i make plans and then i don't deliver on them or i make plans and then i change plans like really quickly in crazy ways or if i'm you know if i'm one of those spaces i i give them over uh overt amounts of attention and they're like okay what's going on or if i'm a de- if i'm in that depressive phase and i disappear f- then i disappear for many months and friends are pretty confusing you know like or they used to be at least till i started to be extremely disciplined about communication there's still a long way to go but disciplined about communication tell them that hey this is what's going on um then they, there's a lot more understanding but reactions from people especially at work my work reactions are most interesting not my current place of work my current place of work is extremely understanding i'm mm-hmm. very very fortunate but previously and uh largely i'm sorry to say in journalism spaces i have found far less understanding than other spaces um there is oh yeah oh so if i tell them listen i'm having an episode and this is a phase like this is how long it might take i don't know they be like yeah okay we understand and the next third day are you okay when are you delivering and it's just at that point you start to feel really guilty but then later you're like okay you know what i could have done with a little more understanding and education on your part but then i also understand that is a place of work there's only so much they can extend to you and your boss is going to need you to do what he or she needs you to do yeah. so workplace i have never really made up my mind about what is the best way to deal with someone with a mental illness but anyway i'm i'm digressing but to answer your question it's 5 6 days of intense activity so it's not really a mood it's an actual being inside who has tons of energy yeah and everything from right even the way i hold a pen and write there's a lot more pressure because i'm just and the way i write right i'm missing words i'm i'm skipping words and you can't read anything uh or the way i anything everything it, it, from the it, it smallest becomes, like smoking a cigarette it, it becomes it part of like, everything i think right comes yeah it becomes just a part of you right and you can't tell others can for in, like cigarettes sometimes i smoke like 12 cigarettes a day in one of my phases and i and that's only in the morning right and then i'll be like wow slow down you know earlier i didn't have that sort of check mm-hmm. now i have that check to say slow down to deliberately come back to some level of again it lasts for 2 hours and then again you're climbing right so it's uh, yeah it's a pretty crazy ride <laughs> and i use it word crazy quite deliberately it's it's all right so thank you for sharing with us the, the details and your experiences and i want to say that this would help a lot of people understand what really entails have you know having a bipolar disorder but you mentioned medication alok i want to come back to you now uh, a lot of people and i found commentary online and in different support groups that with bipolar disorder it takes a long time to you know find the medical combination which works for them which works for the person and how, how hard is that on a patient like in your experience yeah sorry yeah. to so, interrupt uh, yeah. that's a really good question i just wanted to say that <laughs> thank you so yeah be, yeah before i answer a question i would like to thank sandhya for sharing her incredibly personal journey i mean it is quite touching and 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 we wish her strength in sort of 
coping with this uh, complex disorder. But yeah, I mean, to come to your question, uh, yeah, it does take some time to sort of uh, get the combination right as far as medications are concerned. And very frequently, we will have to individualize the medication. The choice of medication depends on the type of the episode. And there, there, there will be some uh, sort of trial and error that does take place. Yeah. It can be very frustrating for the patient uh, till the right combination is reached. No, but like I was listening to account of someone, I, I, I wouldn't like to name them, but they were saying, uh, and it was a four people conversation online. And they were saying that the medications they were prescribed generally worked for people and antidepressants were part of them. But that resulted in a much adverse effect, not only on their, you know, uh, mental state, but physically too. Right. You know, it combination takes a long time to, fi- uh, I mean, mm. it takes a long time to figure out a combination of drugs for a person in bipolar. And mm-hmm. in a country like ours, it's difficult anyway to get a simple medication. Right. So, so right. Uh, how have you seen patients get affected by this and what can be done or what they should do if you can tell them that? Right. right. So you mentioned about people with bipolar disorder being prescribed antidepressants and that having resulted in uh, sort of more uh, severe adverse effects. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, it's not that antidepressants are not used in bipolar disorder. They're used for a short period of time when the person is depressed, say for six to eight weeks. Uh, Now there is emerging evidence that they it can be used for longer periods of time mm-hmm. but finding the right combination does take some amount of trial and error on the part of the clinician as well as on the part of the person with uh, bipolar disorder and that can be incredibly frustrating uh, because the patient keeps uh, having i mean side effects uh, i mean let's say if some patient has side effects with medications we'll need to sort of switch to other medications and in people who present only with depression uh, initially to the clinician and let's say that we give them an antidepressant mm-hmm. there is a high likelihood of them switching to the opposite pole of mania and that can be uh, quite stigmatizing and quite scary as well so the thing with bipolar disorder is that uh, it sometimes it takes close to a decade to sort of receive the diagnosis because it is frequently missed for uh, because of a variety of reasons and these reasons may include, say, things such as a person with hypomania may even enjoy the slightly elevated mood and may refuse to count it as a part of the illness spectrum. Uh, and, and as I was mentioning earlier, periods of intense anger, which reflect irritable mania, may get missed altogether. Hmm. Uh, and p- persons with mania may lack insight into their illness and may not seek a consult. So this interval generally lasts between 8 to 10 years between the onset of mood episode and uh, for seeking help. So to uh, reach a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, to get the right medication combination, all of that requires a lot of time and effort on part of the clinician as well as on the part of the person who has bipolar disorder. That can be quite frustrating. Yeah. Uh, before I go to Sandhya, I want to ask you a couple of things more so that, you know, people will understand. Uh, I, I read that, you know, people with bipolar disorder uh, have a tendency to fall into the cycle of substance abuse. Uh, 
how frequent is it if you can you know explain and right, it, right. How, yeah. how often so, how often have you seen it in your patients right. yeah so uh, as i have uh, spoken earlier comorbidity is the rule rather than the exception yeah, when it comes yeah. to bipolar disorder so around 50% of people with bipolar disorder will have uh, a co-occurring substance use disorder it can be alcohol dependence nicotine dependence cannabis use disorder and so on and so forth mm. uh, so it's it's very common uh, uh, 50% is a high number i mean Yes, yes, it's it's an incredibly high number, but yeah, substance use disorder is that common with bipolar disorder. Right. I, one one more question, then then I'll go back to Sandhya. I also read right. that you know sometimes uh, with BPD and um, Sandhya mentioned it too that when mania episode occurs, some patients mm. may need hospitalization, but you right. know psychotic episodes are sometimes also part of this. Which, right. which can right. be incredibly dangerous not for themselves but to be honest to be people around them too because the person mm-hmm. at that time doesn't know as far as i understand and please correct me if i'm wrong they don't right. know what they're doing so like right. how severe these episodes can be and like one additional question is do we have you know enough well equipped psychiatric facilities in our country right so yeah in severe mania um in the psychotic symptoms can emerge and by psychotic symptoms i mean delusions wherein there is loss of touch with reality yeah. uh, there can be hallucinations the person can yeah. start hearing voices uh, and yeah it can have uh, other unintended uh, consequences such as suicide attempt and so on and so forth or uh, if a person is very irritable and aggressive uh, there, there can be there is the risk of self harm and probably the person is really agitated or aggressive uh, the person may uh, at times become uh, aggressive towards the family members uh, so as far as uh, psychiatric inpatient uh, facilities in india are concerned uh, i think recently i was uh, reading an article by uh, reading an article which mentioned that i think there are around 45 mental hospitals in india and between them Uh, the psychiatric ip is around 4000 beds but whereas whereas the actual need is for i think 45000 beds so that that's the current figure right but i, I may be wrong and, and it's an uneducated opinion but 45 seems quite less to, to, for the population right, india right. has and so these are these are uh, government facilities i mean right. uh, go, uh, government hospitals and between them they have around 4500 beds i am not taking into consideration the private the uh, private ones the psychiatric inpatient but but i assume that the, the degree of you know how equipped these facility facilities are would be different i mean all of us know government hospitals mm-hmm. <laughs> i was married to a doctor for a long time so i know how government hospitals work sometimes they're really good but sometimes they're not right uh, so i mean there are centers of excellence such as the national institute of mental health and neurosciences and imams yes. yeah yeah then then there are other centers such as aims pgi um, say ivas and uh, and there's a center at uh, Uh, I mean, there are centers of uh, excellence, but uh, as you rightly said, the facilities in all the government uh, hospitals may not be the same, uh, which is which is uh, which is a bit worrying. Uh, but that is where uh, the uh, the person with bipolar disorder may have to reach out to the private sector. 
So yeah, yeah I mean there there are uh, there's a serious dearth of uh, uh, good psychiatric inpatient facilities uh, when it comes to mental health uh, per se not just uh, when it comes to bipolar disorder. Yeah. And before I go to Sandhya I want to mention had you guys seen me right now when Alok was speaking I was smiling and the reason was he underlined you know delusion and hallucination separately which so many people confuse you know they use it interchangeably i was smiling because he he didn't and like it it, it was such a heartening thing to hear so and i'm trying to bring levity unsuccessfully i think into a serious conversation sandhya uh, i read a statistic and i want to ask you this because you have been talking about uh mental illness and bipolar disorder for a while now i read that there is no study of this in india but bipolar disorder is also one of a major or leading cause of homelessness in north america and some parts of europe also conducted this study this illness is specifically extremely you know uh, how how should i put it it's a leading cause for homelessness and you know breaking down of people's lives and When you talk about this, how much awareness do you see over the years since you're talking about it and like now you have a benefit of hindsight also before your diagnosis. How much change do you see in our country in India? A study by Laurel Copeland and Alexander Miller with others at USS National Library of Medicine showed that on average 11.4% of homeless population had bipolar. Among the global population less than 1% of people have bipolar disorder in fact another study in 2015 by uss department of housing and urban development also found that people who had bipolar disorder also had a much higher chance of remaining homeless this number was also about 12% again a staggering ratio compared to the overall size now let's get back to our conversation so um i make notes uh, <laughs> i was making notes as you were talking so um yeah so i about um seeing awareness i i'm extremely disheartened by the level of or the lack of awareness that that exists in india largely and i absolutely detest so on the on the one hand so you have to excuse me when i change okay i'll come around to the point it's all right switch around that, um, this is the reason I, for this podcast you know i'm i'm sorry <laughs> i'm interrupting you but the thing is no, no. when i saw so many people in media talking about any mental illness be it depression be it anything the most common issue to a rare one they were just preaching and their speech the words they said had no empathy no understanding of what's going on this is why this podcast was started you have <laughs> enough time and you take as much time as you want please go on thank you i appreciate that so um i when i first saw um for example a deepika padukone talk about depression i was like okay here someone making an inroad into um you know talking about mental health uh but that that sort of i was wary but i was like okay maybe this is a good thing but what happens with someone like her stature or someone like her with her stature or someone like anybody of that level of celebrity mm-hmm. is that the conversation then gets um uh hooked on to 
that particular thing. It does not evolve into a larger conversation about mental illness. Yes. Right. Um, and, and, I don't even know where to begin with it, right? I mean, then after that, a bunch of other celebrities came, came out saying, oh, depression, depression. Take care, depression. All right, great. Now, I'm not brushing aside depression at all. I mean, for anyone with a mental illness, uh, depression is part of the parcel, whether you're schizophrenic, yeah. whether you're uh, borderline, whether you're any of those things, depression is part of the uh, package, right? So that's something we deal with on a regular basis. But when the conversation stops there, and I'm happy if people with depression have been helped because of celebrity, but when the, the conversation has stopped there, you know, and, and, and I have evolved myself in my journey of writing and talking about my mental illness, right? Um, Ten years ago, when I started writing about it, was on was when I was was one month into my diagnosis, and my life looked looked like it had fallen apart. There was a tone of self pity. There was a tone of, oh my God, poor me. Uh, there was a thing of helpless. There was a tone of helplessness. All of that, right? Yeah. Along with what quote unquote the vulnerability that people saw, there was also this oh my god, what am I going to do with my life? I'm a I'm a 33 year old with two mental illnesses, right? Um, yeah. But 10 years down the line, I have watched myself, I've watched others, and I have watched people with, and this is going to sound terrible, and I don't mean any offense, but I need to be honest, and I, my conscience wouldn't let me rest if I don't say this. But there are there are serious there are serious mental illnesses that have a serious degree of consequence yes. and there are mental illnesses like anxiety or a depression depression again has a spectrum of consequences that have that are slightly less severe in degree yes i'm not saying neither of them i'm not saying either of them is more important than the other i'm just saying something like a schizophrenia destroys lives in ways that you and i cannot imagine unless we've seen people right and you've seen them you have seen them walk down the street talking to themselves you know imagining things you've seen a glimpse of it if you've had an aging grandparent at home with dementia imagining there are terrorists in trees and gods are giving uh darshan to them in their bedroom right i mean that's a living daily reality for these people and when then the media or celebrities talk about mental health they're actually talking about wellness mental wellness yes right they're not talking about mental illness and mental illness like a schizophrenia or um borderline personality that uh, borderline personality okay let me let me put that into the mix because it's debilitating as hell bipolar disorder which is uh, like Alok was saying, where you know the where there are no facilities to to somebody has a delusion, somebody has hallucinations, auditory, visual, yeah. all of that. There's no place for this this person to go, and families give up on them. They do give up on them. They say, I I have a personal experience of someone who could not continue living with their spouse uh, because um, he was a threat to their safety. Yes. Right. Yeah. And. Families give up on them, and 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 when I see so coming back to awareness, when we talk about when when depression or anxiety hijacks the conversation, or uh, uh, and I know you said your diagnosis ADHD, but that's also a conversation that's uh, autism, right? These are conversations that are very very the 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 advocacy for these conversations for these for these um, conditions has been so strong that. And I'm not saying they're not debilitating. Please don't get me wrong. And I'm glad there is a prophecy for it. But I'm saying it's got to move. It's got to move wider, not past it, but wider. Yes. It's got to include. Autism is not a mental illness. So it's a different ballgame altogether. Uh, 
<laughs> it's a different ballgame. Let me come in here. One, you don't need yeah. to apologize for what you say. And like, <laughs> we're not grading on a, you know, efficiency or a uniqueness scale. It's like some illnesses by the very nature of that illness are more yes. severe for people in their lives and the people around them. Yes. You don't have to apologize. Exactly. And, and the other Thank thing is, for I am autistic too. putting it better than I did. <laughs> I am autistic too and I'm severe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. And I am. I, I so was diagnosed you, at thirty nine, so I understand what you're saying. So yes. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, so when I when when I think about awareness, uh, you know, recent conversation three months ago, and it's just been, you know, swimming in my head. I'm like, is kebare mein likhu ki nahi likhu? Because this woman, this friend, I was speaking to, and she says, you know, and I I told her she doesn't. I mean, she, I I met her at a time of life when um, I had gotten used to talking about my illness. So I didn't feel the need to bring it up at any point or whatever. And this, it was a part of a conversation. So this came up as part of a conversation. She's known me for a good few years. And I said, you know, this is my, these are my diagnoses. And uh, she says, you know, Sandhya, all of us have something or the other. We just don't oh, have the labels. The old, and, the old line. <laughs> but you know something at this point, I found myself in her shoes and I found myself feel being empathetic to someone's ignorance, you know, and it's nothing to be angry about. It's nothing to be sad or judgy about. This person just doesn't know. I, I, I always compare that to take a professional athlete, okay? As somebody who's slightly overweight, I have zero idea how their body functions. They're telling me, listen, be consistent, run one kilometer every day for one month. I'm telling you, you'll have stronger muscles. And I'm not doing it because I'm like, oh no, my knees are hurting. Oh no, my back is hurting. Oh no, I'm feeling too lazy. I am not imagining what my muscles are going to be like. My leg muscles are going to be like one month later. Hmm. This person knows, right? I have no, I have no imagination of what this person can achieve. And this person, this runner, is convinced that I can achieve better than I'm doing now. Hmm. So he, the runner, has greater empathy for me than I have for that person, right? And this <laughs> is, I, if you get my analogy, that's exactly what's happening here. She has absolutely no idea what I'm going through, why it's different from what she usually goes through, whatever. Right? The very fact that um, she has a successful business, a successful relationship with her spouse, uh, whatever else is, and successful social contracts uh, is very proof of the fact that uh, <laughs> she does not have an illness that is diagnosable. I have two uh, uh, marriages that didn't last behind me. Mm -hmm. uh, I have contentious relationships with my parents uh, at best, uh, an almost broken relationship with my sibling. So I know for a fact that this is not the same thing as, hey, we just have not been diagnosed and we just don't have a label. So for me, from a place of where I started and where I am now, when we talk about awareness, I I approach it with empathy and I approach it with, inko nahi pata hai, you know, and I will have to tell them. And if they're not, there are there are other, others also. Yeah, medicine, don't, no need to go for medication. Yoga kar. Now, <laughs> that is a different breed altogether, right? That's like, a different breed. Let's not get into and that quackery. Like, <laughs> the people, exactly. people recommend homeopathy too. But we're ha, not into, ha. we are not here to pile on them. 
Absolutely. I I want to say this when you mentioned the the how the conversation goes when someone notable like someone with a bit of a celebrity status or more than a bit of a celebrity status comes out with anything the conversation doesn't move. What I noticed was and in personal life people even if even the people who empathize right they want to get off get off that ramp uh the first chance they get you know they want to step away from this conversation as early as possible as soon as they can yeah it's a good thing yeah we understand but you know let's move on yes yeah because because and i don't blame them and i don't i, I mean i'm not assigning uh, any negative connotation but the thing is it's it's a quite uncomfortable thing to listen to this and they feel they are not obligated to it but what happens is where i disagree with you is like i do assign blame because some people have to do it because a lot of lives are destroyed because of this you know being unaware of so many mental illnesses and if people get help they will they will get better they will be able to manage their lives and they will add productivity to our system but you know we're nearing the end of our hour so alok in the end i want to ask you this um someone who doesn't know they have bipolar disorder or you know someone in their family have some symptoms how do they go about you know uh, first finding out if he or she or they Uh, they have bipolar disorder and the second thing is if they suspect they have bipolar disorder then besides going to a, a clinician like yourself what else can they do in life to help them okay. to understand you know okay uh, so yeah uh, when people who have a positive family history of bipolar disorder are when um, are at an increased risk of having bipolar disorder themselves so there and, so there is a genetic aspect to it i, I i'm sorry I, i apologize i interrupted you but just clarifying no 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 worries. yeah yeah uh, so bipolar disorder is uh, a highly heritable disorder uh, so the, um, if if there is a strong family history mm-hmm. then there's a high chance that the person who uh, who is suspecting who is symptomatic or who who thinks that he or she might be having bipolar disorder it's always better to go and talk to a mental health professional either a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist uh, or any other mental health professional uh, so uh, it it is highly heritable bipolar disorder is quite heritable in the sense that 70 to 80% of persons with bipolar disorder will have a relative with either bipolar disorder or unipolar depression mm-hmm. so if there's a there's a strong genetic component to it undeniably uh, so if if a person is suspecting that he or she might be having bipolar disorder uh, it is b- b- best to get uh, a screen done a clinical screening done unfortunately there are no lab tests or uh, neuroimaging tests that can diagnose bipolar disorder it is a clinical diagnosis uh, so it it requires a structured clinical interview on on the part of the clinician uh how uh, not to say that we do not order mri scans or uh, ct scans we do order them to rule out other medical conditions that may present with symptoms of bipolar disorder mm-hmm. right so uh sandhya the last thing i want to ask you is and you might have noticed and our listeners might notice when you mentioned your hobby i sort of skipped over it but you had told me before we began our conversation that crochet and watercolors are your hobby and they help you process a lot of things uh, related to bipolarity so 
<laughs> I want to end on a more positive or a, at least a brighter note, if not positive. So, can you tell our listeners how these help you and how hobbies help you process this condition, which can be de- debilitating? And I want to mention one thing: the person I didn't mention earlier, whose name I didn't mention, he listens to rock music for days. And while other people mm. complain, he says that like it it helps me deal with it. So yes. I could not understand it completely. So for you, it's crochet and watercolor. So please help us understand if you can. <laughs> so um, crochet is one of the. For uh, I, I don't know how many people know crochet. People invariably call it knitting, but it's not knitting. It's a fabric art, and you use one needle with a hook at the end to create fabric and fabric things, right? Uh, I learned crochet when I was nine. When I was in grade nine, and my mother just got sick of me during the summer holiday, and she said, "Go out and learn something." I hated it. It was around late twenties that I picked it up again, and uh, it really saw me through my worst phases. Uh, that was at the beginning of my diagnosis. Two things about crochet. Uh, in fact, the way I um, talked to the world on my blog about my diagnosis was uh, the blog post was titled. Uh, how crochet saved my life and other stories uh-huh. um it there are many elements to it one is the fact that you have to sit down and slow down right you have to sit there do something over and over again it's a repetitive action in the world that we live in today where every 10 seconds 30 seconds one minute you're reaching out for a phone your brain does not have that sense of rhythm of doing something repetitively hmm. over and over again like washing a car or gardening or any of those things that require movements move working with your hands is another way to constantly stay in touch with reality right you're feeling the fabric you're feeling the strain in your hand as you crochet you're and you're creating it's visually it's a colorful yarn it's just an utter delight to you're creating something and you're seeing it grow right and it's again i i it's like trying to lose weight uh <laughs> you can see once you start to lose weight you can see it going and you're greedy for more so once you start to build things out when you start to build something with crochet you're seeing it come to life and at the end of it when you create a finished product the sense of satisfaction fulfillment and joy at seeing color but more than anything else a sort of balm to your self esteem saying oh you're not so inconsistent you can finish something and see things through the end so on a daily basis i spend collectively about 45 minutes crocheting because it's all the time that i can afford there are many weeks that i miss it because you know kids work yeah but uh, i try and crochet for about an hour there'll be a show going on in the background or i'll be talking to a friend and i will crochet so my like i have an entire like a small little storeroom that has like over 2000 pieces of yarn that's the other thing that right? you just spend so once your brain kicks in saying you can't buy more books you can't buy more clothes you can't buy more makeup what do you think oh yarn you'll create something so your brain rationalizes so i have way too much yarn than is healthy but it's a good thing because i create something out of it invariably and just the calming nature of repetitive work and working with your hands and the achievement that comes at the end of it is i think very stabilizing and it's the same thing for watercolors right it's uh, on a bright sunny morning you sit down lay out everything in in front of you and you start to paint and at the end of it you may not not like what you do but it's a very soothing um 
activity because you have to learn control watercolor is is about control right so once you start to uh, calibrate your movement calibrate your hand calibrate your mind your eyes to see and get the effect that you're looking for at the end of it you're tired but you're also satisfied and being tired is a large part like being healthily tired is a great part of feeling good about yourself so yeah these two hobbies this is what it encompasses for me yeah yeah sandhya was mentioning about the need for rhythmicity so i mean as far as non drug approaches are concerned there there are three approaches that are generally employed and which have evidence base the first one is called interpersonal and social rhythm therapy or abbreviated as ipsrt ipsrt is based on the premise that the symptoms of bipolar disorder are triggered by disruptions in daily routines and the sleep phase sleep wake cycle uh, so the focus becomes the focus of ipsrt becomes on the stabilization of these routines uh, so the therapist will focus on stabilizing the daily and nightly rhythms as well as uh, as on resolving interpersonal problems that may have preceded an episode the other uh, approach is something called family focused therapy uh, which which is delivered uh, in 21 sessions over 9 months this is based on the premise that stress at home can worsen the situation or trigger an episode it helps in identifying early warning signs of of a mood episode the whole family is helped to find ways of reducing stress to solve problems and to communicate more effectively uh, so the focus is also on reducing criticality hostility and overprotective attitudes in caregivers uh we also hear keep hearing about an approach called cognitive behavioral therapy which has more application in depression there is not enough evidence or rather the evidence is mixed to sort of uh, uh propose that for bipolar disorder per se but we can always advocate for psychoeducation or group psychoeducation for both the person with the bipolar disorder as well as the person's family uh, the group psychoeducation will involve uh telling the educating the pa- patient and the family about the nature of the illness the importance of being adherent on medications lifestyle modification modifications such as diet sleep exercise rhythmic maintaining rhythmicity the need for regular follow up and uh, uh, so on and so forth so i mean study after study has shown that you cannot treat any me- uh, psychiatric disorder in silo it has to incorporate biological components psychological components and social components and sandhya has spoken exhaustively on on this what i understood and i think everybody understands that if you are going through something and especially a mental illness i think hobbies may help more than you think they can and absolutely I, I, any hobby yeah honestly and as dr kulkarni said The resources in India for bipolar disorder are lacking in availability and scale. But there are a couple of places on web where you can look for guidance. The first is bipolarindia.com started by Vijay Nallawala who himself suffers from BPD and it's a great place for one to educate themselves about bipolar disorder. And the second place you can go to is International Bipolar Foundation again it's a foundation for people who have bipolar disorder and they seek information or some sort of help and you'll find their articles and materials and other people who suffer from bipolar disorder and have been dealing with it for a long time you'll find the link to both the websites in the episode description remember we are here for you
Thank you for listening and do write to us if you have any suggestions, inputs about how we can better this podcast. This podcast was supported by Google News Initiatives News Equity Fund. News laundry is possible because of our paying subscribers. We don't run corporate or government ads. You too can be part of changing the news model. Go to newslaundry.com/subscription. Be a part of the community that pays to keep news independent. For the smoothest news laundry experience, download our app, watch our shows, listen to our podcasts, read our reports, stay informed. Pay for news, protect democracy, save the world.